Okay, if you want to turn in your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to be talking about a new uh, message about being on the path of God, or part of our study on the book of Proverbs, and, ta- and talking about how our heart matters in this process. And so last week we talked about what you should do if you're on the wrong path. And that you need to seek God how to get pointed in the right direction in life. Today we're going to be talking about the source of what gets us on the wrong path. So we're starting out with a quick question today. Does anybody here know anyone who's a little stubborn? And don't automatically look at your spouse. How many people here are looking forward, looking at me saying, well, yeah, we know somebody that's kind of stubborn. All of us are stubborn about certain things. Growing up in Kenosha, a lot of the people down there are Cubs fans. And if you follow baseball at all, you know that the Cubs didn't go to a World Series for decades. Whole generations uh, came, lived, and died being Cubs fans, and they never got much past the playoffs. Until a few years ago, they finally got to go to the World Series, but they stubbornly held on to that belief that the Cubs would get there someday, and they did. And being stubborn isn't always bad. It can be used in very godly ways. To stay, um, one way stubbornness can help us is to stay on the straight and narrow path that God has for us. But what happens when our stubbornness is used in a bad way? What happens when our stubbornness causes us to fight back against God because we see we want to do something and then we're going to pursue it no matter what. And this is what we do sometimes. We get to that fork in a road and we see the two different directions we can go and we weigh our options. Then we choose the one that just seems to feel right at the moment. We kind of follow our hearts and that path may not be the best path for us. And as soon as we figure out what we want to do, we put our minds to work figuring out reasons to justify the decision that our heart is trying to make us make. I found a few great quotes about running on feelings and following our hearts. The first one is, what the heart wants, the will chooses, and then the mind justifies. So what your heart wants your will will choose, and your mind will then justify it. A, very, um, a second very similar quote from a social media influencer named Tim Keller. He said, what the heart want, most wants, the mind will find reasonable, the emotions will find valuable, and then the will will find doable. So in other words, when we decide something here in our heart, that center of our emotions and needs and wants, it will twist us in a way to get us to follow it, whether it's good for us or not. How often in life have we bought something that we don't need, can barely afford, and often once we get it in a few weeks, we discard it. We even forget we have it. Some people trade in their old car because it was a gas guzzler. But do the math for a moment. So you turn in your old car that's a gas guzzler. So you lay down $20,000 after the trade-in. And then you drove 
your new, more efficient model for a few years. The diff- it would take you over 35 years to make up for that, that old gas guzzler's gas guzzling. Some people trade in their cell phone every year. So you decide to pick up a new iPhone because your cell phone battery no longer lasts for an entire day. And the iPhone costs $1,300 right now. $1,300. Even the one on my hip is, is almost $1,000. It's really starting to make me think about where I spend my money, too. Because you know how much a new battery would cost? $50 to $60 installed. But we're going to spend money on all, all that money on the newest and best sometimes. It's not only just bad financial choices. This, this um, flows over into every decision we make. And more and more these days, I hear from people who ask me, oh, how did I end up here? You know, I didn't start out trying to go this way, but somehow I ended up here. And why did God let me get here in the first place? You always notice that first person people blame for their bad decisions is God. And you know, it's with most people, it's not a lack of information. It's not that they had some key facts hidden from them. It's because they looked at what would make their heart happy in that particular moment. And they ran for that. And they forgot to think, well, if I start off on this road that my heart wants me to go on, what's the destination to that road? And often those bad roads, you can't see more than a few feet in front of you. It's like a fog. And then you get to the end and you fall off the cliff, not realizing that that road leads to death. That gives us a hint as to the answer of some of the questions we need to answer for this morning. And the first one is, why do we find ourselves on the wrong path? Well, two reasons, and they both come from following our hearts. Our heart is on a happiness quest. Our hearts want to be happy. They're not on a truth quest. They're not on a fact-based quest. They're on a happiness quest. And our heart will always choose the happy now rather than the happy later path, almost every time. And if we think about what we do in life that isn't pleasing to God, it almost always, if not always, starts right here in our heart. So think of a moment in your life that you chose happiness at the cost of God's truth. And maybe for some of you, that moment is right now. If so, this message is for you. And God has a message for you. Seek Him. Turn around and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, it was a long introduction, but it was one to set up this vital truth in our lives. When our entire world tells us to follow our hearts, when the entire world appeals only to our emotions to try to get us to make major decisions that affect not only our lives, but the lives of those around us. It's this huge appeal to emotion and happiness that is killing our country one by one. So I ask, Father, that you help us to learn your word this morning, understand your word, and choose to live by your word this morning. 
Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. So Solomon diagnosed this problem about 3,000 years ago. And we look back 3,000 years and we think, well, those people, you know, they, they weren't anything like we are today. I mean, after all, we have technology, we have cars, we have cell phones, we have internet, we have all these things that they didn't have. But really, nothing has changed in humanity at all. We're still the same people that Solomon dealt with thousands of years ago. And in Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon gives us a solution to the happiness quest. That one, might be one of the most famous and well-known verses in the entire book of Proverbs. And some of you who have been in church a long time may have this portion of scripture memorized. Some of you may not have ever heard it before. But if you don't have it memorized, this is an incredible life verse to live with, particularly verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read it now through verse 12 in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those who he loves, as a father of the son he delights in. I love this proverb. According to Solomon, God will make your path straight if you do three things seen in verses 5 and 6. The first one, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And some of you have heard this before. Some of you have, or some of you have never heard this before, so let me walk you through it. The starting place for a straight path is to do what it says on all American money. In God we trust. Have you ever found it to be ironic that we put on, in God, we trust on our money, yet it's the least thing we trust God to handle for us? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, in every arena of life, in every possible path, in every category of path, trust God. The answer to choosing the right path is to choose God, to trust Him, to go where He asks you to go, to do what He asks you to do, and then do it every day at all times. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's a path. It's a road. You don't take one step on a path and stop. You keep walking until you get to the destination. And this is a, a path we choose to walk every moment of every day for the rest of our lives. You have to stay focused on the destination because the strange thing about the road of life is it's like an interstate. It has exits. And all those exits look appealing. Anyone, all of us who have ever driven on an interstate, you drive down the interstate and as you approach an exit for like three miles before you get to that exit, food, gas, entertainment, all these billboards start popping up telling you of all the wonderful things that will be on this exit. If you just get off the path, the road you're on, and you just get off on this exit, 
everything will be okay, we'll make you happy, we'll feed you, we'll have, let you get rest, all these other things. And it dissuades us from being on the path to get to the destination we want to go on. And life is exactly like that. We're on this road that God has for us. And every few moments sometimes it feels like, or at least every few days, you see an exit promising you something that you don't think you have right now. And it, it hits you right in the heart, and your heart desires to hit that exit. But that exit will never give you what God wants to give you if you just trust Him and stay on the road. That's why we hammer this point so much. To place are all your confidence, all your faith, all your hope, all your plans in God. How many times have you heard someone tell you, I'm just doing what my heart's telling me to do, or I'm just following my heart? We've probably said that sometimes in our life, particularly when we're young and dating. I'm just going to follow my heart. But this is why so many people are on the wrong path. It's really horrible advice to follow your heart. And you say, well, why do you say that? It seems like you're, you're being selfish. It seems like you're just being a, a Debbie Downer or somebody who doesn't want people to be happy. No, it's because what the Bible has to say about the human heart. Particularly among those who don't know Jesus as Savior, but even those who do. The prophet Jeremiah says... In, in Jeremiah 17, 9, and this would be a wonderful verse for you to memorize. God tells Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. It's Satan's primary attack point. And what he means by that is that sometimes our hearts will lie to us. Remember what we said earlier, what the heart wants, the will chooses, and the mind will justify. And almost every time we want to do something that feels good in the short term, we intuitively know that that's not good for us in the long term. And our hearts will start coming up with reasons to, to do the things we'd rather do than the things that's best for us over the long term. And that is why the heart is deceitful. So if this is true, if we accept that the Bible is telling us the truth here, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, why would we follow the leadership of something that's lying to us? And it's desperately sick. Matter of fact, the Hebrew in there suggests insanity type of sick. Why would we follow something like that? Following your heart is like trying to draw a straight line with a circle. It just, it will not work. You don't ever follow your heart. You lead your heart. You tell your heart what to desire. And that's why Solomon says, when you find yourself at this fork in the road, every dis when you find yourself right here at this fork, it is important to trust God in this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lead to your own understanding. And if you do this, he will make your path straight. You say, well, this is Old Testament. Well, Jesus reinforced it in the New Testament. When he told us to seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to us as well. When we acknowledge God and his ways, he will make our path straight. He'll direct you in the way that you should go. He'll protect you when evil and junk and all that other stuff try to crowd in on you. He will be your strong shield against that. Again, I suggest you memorize these verses and live with them. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not up to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Seek first the kingdom of God. Trust in him and you won't regret it. That's the path that we are to be on. The trick we have to learn is override the happiness now bias in our heart and in our minds, which really comes from the deceitfulness of our hearts. Override it with the perfect wisdom that God gives us from his word and his spirit. Solomon continues his thought by get on getting on God's path when he looks at in verse, when we look in verse seven, that says, "Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment from your bones. Do not be wise in your own eyes." After telling us the the key to the straight path, the path that that we want to take. The path that will always get you to exactly where you want to be. Solomon suggests three action steps in order to trust God fully and acknowledge him in everything. And the first action step is don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think, you know, I've been here before. I've made these decisions. I don't need to consult God on this. this. This is easy. I've been at this very fork in the road before and I know exactly which direction to take. Well, the thing with life is you have never been in the moment you're in right now. And therefore, the conditions in this fork have changed. And they always changed. There's a, a story in the Bible, Joshua chapter 9. Joshua, wise military leader. He's been trained by one of the wisest men who's ever lived. Spent 40 years being personally trained by Moses. So he's got the pedigree of a leader. He's leading 6 million Jews, at least 6 million Jews, into the promised land. He's defeating town after town, city after city. People are fleeing before him, miraculous things happening, walls falling down, all kinds of things going for him. And he thinks he's just on a roll. Nothing is going to stop him. And God gave him very specific instructions that he is to destroy everything and everyone in that land. God gave them 400 years to repent. They didn't repent. Now the people of Israel are coming, and they are, in effect, God's judgment against these people that were following other gods and and doing horrific sins. And so the Israelites are just wiping them out, wiping them out. Well, a bunch of them hear that they're coming, and they take off their their nice clothes. They dress themselves in rags. They, They pick the worst pack animals they have, um, the worst saddles, the worst carrying things and carts, you know, the one like a shopping cart that had the wobbly wheel, they picked that one. They did all of these kind of things and went before Joshua. 
and said, we're just some poor people that were, are traveling through and, and we were going to settle here and, and, you know, don't, don't, you know, attack us. We're just poor. We're, you know, just make a treaty with us. And Joshua, it says very specifically in the Bible, it said Joshua looked at their clothing, he looked at the wheels on the wagons, he looked at the, the condition of their animals and saw that they were no threat to the people of Israel. They were poor, they were destitute, they had nothing to do, so Joshua signed the treaty, and it has a very, very critical verse and a tragic verse where it says, and Joshua did not seek the Lord. He was fooled into signing a treaty with these people and ended up having to disobey God because he signed that treaty. And those people, the Gibeonites, became the biggest thorn in the side of Israel for decades, hundreds of years. Always being attacked, always being treacherous, always trying to lead them astray into idol worship. And it was because Joshua thought, well, I've, been, I've made these decisions before. I don't need to seek God. I got this. And he ended up messing up his entire country for generations. And it's very easy for us to fall into that. It is. You know, we, especially when you get older, you think you're wise, and you think, well, I've been here before. I, can, I don't need God to make this major decision. Seek the Lord. Take everything before him. It's not like he's going to cuff you upside the head and say, what's the obvious answer? He's going to tell you. Because sometimes the obvious answer isn't the correct one. The second action step is to honor God's provision for you. In verse 9 and 10 it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. We have to remember that everything we have comes from him. If you want him to direct your path, first let him direct your finances. For most of us, our wallets are connected to our hearts, aren't they? How many people worry a lot when you have a whole bunch of money in your wallet or in your bank account? When your bank account gets to zero, how many people start worrying? Right? It's, it's, it's tied right here. God said, hey, if you want my input, if you want my blessing, then trust me with your output. I gave it all to you anyway. Just trust me and go ahead and give. And you know this is true. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You know, being a pastor and seeing single, unattached people leave home and in their 20s, they finally get a job, and they're, they have a little bit of spending money, and you see them just blow it. I mean, just, just go out and, and enjoy their, their youth and everything, and they'll say to themselves, well, there's this concert coming up, and I have this much money in my account, and I really want to go to this concert, and I really want to go see this band, and, and if I live on hot dogs and macaroni and cheese for three weeks straight, I'll be able to go to that concert. And they'll do it. They'll, they'll go to the concert and, and, and sacrifice a little bit for that. Now fast forward a couple years. Now they're married with a child. Baby needs diapers, formula, blankets, shoes, clothing, swings, all kinds of stuff. And now that same concert comes around. And their, friends want, their single friends want them to go to the concert again. And they're like, I can't go to that concert. I got this child to take care of. I, 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 I have a kid to provide for. And suddenly their love for that person changed their priorities. 
They love that baby boy or girl so much they don't even think about giving. Now they know they have to provide for. You see, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Something mysterious happens when we give. In fact, it's so a part of us that Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another great life verse. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Matthew 6.21. If you love, you'll give. But God knows that if you give, you'll love. He says, if you want my direction in your life, if you want me to, to guide you, then honor me with the first fruit of all your crops. In other words, our income. The first of anything from any type of work that you do, and then I'll be able to fill your heart, your barns to overflowing. The third action step is don't blame God for your pain and what you're going through if it's bad right now. Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those who he loves. As a father, the son, he delights in. Sometimes life happens, but more often, we usually cause what's happening to us in one way or another. And God knows, as a loving father, that we need correction sometimes. I've often heard people say, why does God let all this bad stuff happen to me? And... You know, those times aren't necessarily the time for a theological discussion. It's, it's a time to hug them, to love on them. But really what we have to teach them is God didn't let that happen to them. God doesn't want bad things to happen to us, ever. In fact, God usually tries to prevent bad things from happening by giving us his word, by giving us the counsel of the of the, of the aged and, and, peop, and, and people who want to speak into our life. But the one thing that God will not do is violate your free will. So if you choose wrong paths, he'll be there to help pick you back up. But there's going to be some pain involved. He tried to stop it, but God can't always stop us. Again, free will. The Lord disciplines those who he loves, like a father does with a son he delights in. So summarizing the three action points. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Honor God's provision for you, and don't blame him for your pain. Those are Solomon's suggestions. Let me give you one more from me. Read the book of Proverbs. God conveniently made Proverbs 31 chapters, one for every day of the week. And when there's 30, you can read two of them. Or every day of the month, excuse me. Trust me, if you do this and you allow God's wisdom to fill you, change your heart, change your mind, and guide your spirit into the correct paths, you will not regret it because you will learn to trust the Lord with all of your heart, to lean not to your own understanding. And you'll learn to trust him in all of your ways, acknowledging him, and he will direct your path.